With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. This is the opening week episode of Raise Your Voice. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and I'll be joined in today's episode by a couple of really great guests. Alex Krutchik from fishstripes.com, the SB Nation website covering the Miami Marlins will be on the show. Alex and I talk about some of the names to look forward to on this Marlins team or some names to keep an eye out for on this squad as they take on the Rays this weekend. And then I'll talk to Jamal Wilberg from DRaysBay.com. We'll also go over this series and what to look forward to. And then we raise our voices for a little bit and give some predictions for this 2021 Rays season. Hope you guys enjoy. And first, we'll go over to our discussion with Alex Kretschek. And now joining the show, he's a writer over at fishstripes.com covering the Miami Marlins, who the Rays will be playing in a three-game set to open the 2021 season down at Marlins Park, or I guess soon to be Lone Depot Park. Uh, it's Alex Krutchik. Alex, how are you doing, man? Hey, Brad. I'm doing great. Just looking forward to opening day coming up. It kind of snuck up on us. I feel like I feel like spring training went by so slow. Then the last week, you look at the calendar, and all of a sudden, opening day is in less than two days. I know, like last year, you know, we didn't get opening day until July 24th. And this year, it's like, bam, we're right back to baseball. Before we start, Lone Depot Park, like, what's the deal with that? Are you, are you happy with that? Or, just, you know, it's another naming rights deal. Uh, so there's reports. I can't confirm anything, but there are reports from other people saying that this is going to be in the neighborhood of nine to ten million dollars per year. Here's the thing. That's great. And that's the most important thing, because this is actually the first time the Marlins will ever have their own naming rights deal because it's been called Marlins Park since it opened in 2012. And before then, you know, they played at Dolphin Stadium, whatever name uh, Dolphin Stadium had at the time. But all that money went to the Dolphins. Um, and now they have their own naming rights deal. So in theory, this is the most, this should be the most money that they've had at their disposal. Now I will admit uh, my first thought when I heard Lone Depot was this is going to make uh, the payroll jokes uh, a lot easier for people. <laughs> uh, I really can't wait until inevitably a player gets traded away or a player doesn't get signed when he probably should get signed. And uh, the jokes will just uh, float on in. Yeah, you know, but I, you know, I, I do like the idea of having a naming rights deal. I think you know, you and I are both Florida State grads. We talk about how they should sell the naming rights to their football stadium. Uh, just take the money. I, I'm, I'm all for that. So I think as a Marlins fan, you can't be anything other than happy. Who cares what the park is called? You can call it whatever you want. We have Tropicana Field. We just call it the Trop. You'll come up with a nickname for it. I'm sure of it. So, Alex, last year. Marlins, they went to the postseason, and honestly, they really didn't need the expanded postseason field to make it in. They would have been, I think, tied for the second wild card if it had been a normal year. Coming off of that, after everything that went on last year, what is the the general expectation of the of the fan base this year? Do you think? So it's crazy because the the 
the the expectations for the fan base has changed a little bit because of last year. I so we're entering what year four of this rebuild. At this point, a lot of people just wanted to be competitive, maybe win 80 games and year five when your big time free agents come in and your big time prospects come in uh, for a full season. Cause I think we'll see some prospects uh, in the September call-ups, but for a full season, I think next year was the playoff year, but because of last year, the Marlins kind of showed that yes, it was just a 60 game sample size, but they showed that there is talent uh, that is already there. That wasn't expected by a lot of people to be there. That's the fan base. Then the players themselves are also thinking the same thing because I'd say 2018, 2019, they always gave you the the carbon copy, coach speak, player speak. You know, we're just going to go out there. We're going to try to win some ball games. Uh, we're going to do the best that we can. Before 2020, uh, during spring training 2.0, they kept saying, why not us? Why not us? And for the first time in a while, you kind of believed them, that they genuinely thought they could make the playoffs. And they did. And it's interesting because this year coming into spring, they're doing the same thing where you've had some players come out and say that this is the most excited they've ever been because they've now tasted the playoffs. They, they now know what it feels like, and now they're more motivated than ever to get back. And I think they really believe that they could. Well, you talk about everything that they went through, like the, the, the COVID outbreak throughout 2020 and you were one of the, the only people that was inside Marlins Park for those games, covering those games for fishstripes.com. How surreal did that season feel, especially when the Marlins are trying to fit in so many games in such a tight schedule because of the time off they had? They were playing doubleheaders. It felt like every day. What was the feeling inside the ballpark? Did it feel like a real baseball season at all? Uh, it, it. Here's the thing. From an experience perspective, it definitely felt different and weird, but I genuinely think that that was one of the hardest seasons as a player because you have so many other distractions. It's not just about showing up. You have to show up. You have to stay healthy. You cannot have any distractions off the field. At one point, you have 17 players on the injured list, which actually brings me to my next thing. Uh, You ask what it was like to be around the team last year, of course, virtually, but still around the team. That was, I'm sure the players didn't appreciate having to be quarantined all together for that period of time, but it brought the team closer together than any other Marlins team I've ever seen. And it's leaked over into this spring. You see videos coming out on social media, not just on the Marlins social media, but also on the social media of the players themselves. That These players are closer as teammates than any other Marlins team I've ever seen since I started watching 20 years ago. And that kind of brings up the next big move that the Marlins made and how their team has kind of transformed since last year. This winter, they made an historic hiring and made Kim Ang the new general manager of the Miami Marlins, the first woman general manager in Major League Baseball history. What has she brought to the table, like to to this role as the general manager? Well, she's brought the the experience of working not only with other major league teams, but teams with a winning culture. I know we, we talk about culture a lot and she uh, has worked with the two teams with possibly the, the most winningest culture in all of baseball, the Yankees and the Dodgers. And, you know, I hate to do the thing that, that NFL people will do with the Bill Belichick coaching tree and the Nick Saban coaching tree, but you got to think 
this woman has been in, in Major League Baseball for multiple decades at this point, and she's worked alongside the Dodgers and the Yankees. She's worked with George Steinbrenner. There's no way that uh, Kim Ang does not know how to run a team. And, and so far, you know, she hasn't made any crazy moves, uh, but you can tell that she knows what she's doing, uh, of course. I think a lot of the reason she hasn't had to make any big moves yet is because you've seen these moves be made over the last few years to get to the to get the Marlins where they're at now, and that started last year at the trade deadline. I was shocked. I think a lot of people were. They went out and acquired Starling Marte, who, in terms of guys that were available at the trade deadline on the position player side of things, he was one of the biggest names available. Do you think going into 2021, he's expected to be the focal point or the centerpiece of this Marlins team, at least in terms of position players? I I do think that they want him to be the best, but they don't want him, and this is going to sound obvious, but if you watched the second half of the Marlins last year, Starling Marte was not only the best, but at many times he was the only good consistent player. We'll say consistent player on the offense. I think that if Starling Marte is your best player, that's totally fine, but he cannot be your most, your only consistent player. Uh, they need to see guys like Brian Anderson, Jesus Aguilar, uh, Miguel Rojas, all of them step up. Uh, one guy that I'm interested in, uh, uh, just to change the subject a little bit, is Garrett Cooper, who I have said for the last two or three years now that as long as he stays healthy, he could put up 30, 35 home runs, have a slug percentage over uh, 500, 550. And, uh, He's another outfielder who I think the Marlins, I, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. And he's had some, some fluke injuries. He's missed a lot of time because of getting hit on the hand, uh, diving on that hand a few weeks later, getting hit in the hand again, uh, getting COVID last year. Hopefully the injury bug is past him and that Marlins outfield with Marte and Cooper, wherever they put Cooper, whether it's in the outfield or first base because we lost out on the designated hitter, I think that whole outfield will look very good this year. Yeah, it definitely makes things interesting in your lineup because Aguilar is kind of the perfect DH to have, but uh, obviously no DH, at least not yet in the National League. The other announcement that was that was made leading up to opening day, Jazz Chisholm, who was a prospect that the, uh, the Marlins got from the Diamondbacks when they traded Zach Gallen. I think that was a move that shocked a lot of people, especially with the way that Gallen kind of started his major league career in Miami. He, he's doing really well in Arizona. He's going to start the year injured. But Jazz Chisholm, he, we saw him at the end of last year. Obviously, you know, it was a very, very small sample of games. Uh, the bat wasn't great, but again, you really can't draw any conclusions off of that. W- what are your thoughts over that decision to put him on that opening day roster over Isan Diaz and, and put him in that starting spot? So we knew that that was one of those position battles where it would come down to spring training stat. Uh, not stats, but spring training performance. And uh, Isan Diaz went here. Let me pull this up. I believe it was two for 37. He went, uh, no, he went two for 34 in spring training at a 0.059 batting average slugged 147. Uh, it just wasn't good enough. And I think that uh, for a player with Isan's experience, you can't just show up to spring training and put up those stats. I know that managers will say that stats aren't as important as the performance, but he didn't really have the performance or the stats in spring training because you also have to remember that last year in 2020, he wasn't necessarily that great. 
Now, granted, he missed a lot of time because he opted out and then opted back in. So you do have to put uh, that into account, but he still had an, a batting average of 182 last year in 22 games. The year prior in 179 at-bats, he only had a 173 ERA. So I think he'll be back up. I think he'll be fine. I think he's a he's a pretty solid hitter. He's a great defender. But right now, I think uh, Mattingly, Don Mattingly just needed to see uh, something different. And the other move that, that came out even more recently, and I was I was shocked to hear this, and I think Rays fans, including myself, are kind of pleased to hear this because of what he did to the lineup the last time he faced them. Sixto Sanchez is not going to start the year on the opening day roster. He was optioned. He won't be in that rotation, which means he won't face the Rays this weekend. Do you have any insight onto what the plan is for, for Sixto and his development? So uh, Sixto had a, a false uh, positive COVID test earlier in the spring. So he missed out on one or two starts that he was supposed to make. So they're still building him up. Uh, the Marlins uh, wanted him to get to at least 75 pitches or five innings before starting a regular season game. So they, they just don't want to rush him too much, but I suspect that he won't miss any more than one or two starts. He'll be back in the, uh, on the 26 man roster by the end of April. I think that's that's a probably a really smart decision when you've got a guy like Sixto who you think can probably lead this rotation at some point, giving him that time to to build back up. And I think the Marlins can kind of be comfortable going into this first series against the Rays with the pitchers they've got. You look at Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez. Eventually, Sixto is going to be a part of that rotation. You've also got Trevor Rogers. The Rays probably won't face him this weekend, but is this Marlins pitching staff? The, the biggest thing that gives Marlins fans hope going into this year in terms of trying to get back into the postseason? Oh, yeah. And I said it last year, even when Sixto was just a rookie and, and barely a rookie at that because he didn't even come up until halfway through the year. The Marlins' top three pitchers can go against pretty much any other major league team's top three pitchers uh, when Sixto's in. When, uh, when you have Sixto, Pablo, and Sandy, that is a – that that is a rotation that is very hard to beat. It's kind of on par with what the Nationals had a few years ago, with what the Phillies had uh, 10, 15 years ago. They may not be necessarily to that level yet, but I think that they will be by season's end. So even without Sixto, um, this is a very, very good rotation. And you mentioned Trevor Rogers before. I think he has a, a few more things to work out, but he'll be a great, Great piece to this rotation. Uh, you mentioned Zach Allen before. And the crazy thing is that as great as Zach Allen was, it doesn't feel like the Marlins are missing him that much because of how insanely deep their pitching is. Because then there's there's even more guys uh, down in the minors waiting to come up in case there's any more injuries in, in the rotation. I mean, you, you obviously seem very high on, on the Marlins rotation. The matchups, it'll be Alcantara and Glass now on Thursday. Yarbrough and Pablo Lopez on Friday, most likely. And then Saturday, I don't know if you've, you've heard this yet, but the Rays are going to be rolling out, uh, not an opener, not a bullpen day, but a piggyback day is kind of the term we've heard used a couple of times where they're going to start Rich Hill and then Chris Archer will piggyback off of Rich Hill. They're both going to kind of get three to four inning outings, give or take, depending on the situation within the game. Given that, given the three starters that we expect the Marlins to roll out there this week, how do you think the Marlins will fare in this series, especially when it comes to the pitching matchups? So going against the Rays still scare me because you guys also have a pretty good uh, pitching staff. And 
so far there is, I think that the Marlins lineup improved, but I still don't know if it improved enough to be able to beat that, the rotation and the bullpen that you guys have, because as we saw last year, the Marlins, I'll have to pull up the stats real quick, but wasn't there one series where the Marlins scored like one run in three games against you guys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it, it, it's been a few years where, you know, it's been you, the Razor Marlins always play these two and two, two in Marlins park, two in the trop. And they usually split them and they're like never high intensity games. Uh, it is the citrus series. We're supposed to be geographic rivals, but there, there's really no sense of that. But I think last year, the Rays uh, beat up pretty good on Miami looking at the roster and some guys that I think Rays fans can keep an eye on for, for whatever reason this weekend, Lewis Brinson, another top prospect, another guy that was going to be part of this rebuild that Miami is going through. He struggled really his whole major league career since he broke in. Is this a make or break year for a guy like him? Yes. Uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, the obvious uh, is that he's been in the league now for, let's say three full years, three and a half years. He only had uh, 55 plate appearances for the Brewers in 2017. So this will be his fourth full season. Uh, that's number one. Number two is the Marlins are starting to accumulate a lot of talent uh, more so than they had a couple of years ago. You know, a couple of years ago, the Marlins kind of needed Lewis Brinson because as bad as he was, they didn't really have anyone else. They're starting to get guys now. So he has some people uh, coming up behind him wanting to take his spot and probably have the ability to take his spot. Marlins have a JJ Blade probably coming up in August or September. He's one guy that could easily take his spot. Um, I Connor like Scott, least... Tampa native. <laughs> Connor Scott would be one. Uh, possibly Monte Harrison. Um, but yeah, last year he seemed good. A lot of people were saying that he really turned the corner. But here's how bad he was in his previous seasons. You look at last year and you think, oh, he, he, he finally figured it out. He's doing so well this year. He only had a 226 batting average. But it seemed so good because the year before that he went 173. The year before that he hit 199. So he needs to finally be good, not just for Lewis Prince. Last year was a feel-good year because – he finally got over the Mendoza line, and the Marlins didn't necessarily need him. They, they had so much other help in that lineup. But this year, I think if you don't hit at least 250, you don't slug at least 450, and he continues to have the strikeout problems that he once had, I, I don't think that he'll have a place in Miami in 2022. Well, that's definitely a storyline to watch out for, see what plate appearances he gets against the Rays this opening weekend. Another guy that Rays fans might be familiar with his name, he never – played for the big league team, but it's right-handed pitcher Paul Campbell, who was taken by the Marlins in the Rule 5 draft from the Rays, and he's going to make the club to start the year, so the, they don't have to return him to the Rays yet. Uh, if they keep him for the whole year, he's theirs. But do you have any inkling as to what his role might be on this pitching staff? I think he'll be a, a middle-inning guy. I think he's also a kind of guy that can get you multiple innings if he needs to. Uh, in three of his four spring appearances this year, uh, he went multiple innings. Uh, I think part of that is obviously stamina, but also he has a four-pitch arsenal. He has a, a fastball, curveball, slider changeup. Uh, and he gets a lot of contact. Uh, and when he has a handle on those pitches and he gets contact, he can get some quick outs and go longer. 
I don't think he'll be anything crazy. I think he'll just be a reliable middle inning guy. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And if if he does pitch meaningful innings against the Rays this weekend, it'll be uh, interesting to see what the Rays are missing out on in Paul Campbell. So, Alex, before we get your series prediction, usually we get these games in like May or June, Rays and Marlins, the Citrus Series. Now we're playing it to open the season, and then we don't see each other again until right about the end of the season. Obviously, we mentioned Jazz Chisholm is going to be on the opening day roster. Sixto Sanchez is going to be on the roster sooner rather than later. You know, we know those guys. But the Marlins have a pretty talented farm system. Who is another big-time prospect that you could see getting called up and contributing for the big league squad by the next time the Rays and Marlins meet up in September? Well, I'm sorry I kind of spoiled it before, but J.J. Blade is the one that I'm most excited about. Uh, He has looked pretty good. And I think a lot of people agree, uh, both inside the organization and other people that cover the Marlins, that he'll be a a 40-man call-up. J.J. Bleday, a big power hitter out of Vanderbilt. I remember watching him in in college uh, well. So, Alex, we got a three-game series. How do you think this one's going to play out? Uh, uh, Let's see. I don't think it'll be a sweep on either side. I think these are two very talented teams. I'll just need to see more out of this revamped Marlins offense with uh, Adam Duvall being recently added to it as well over the winter. Uh, I'll need to see more out of the offense until I can see that the offense can pick up a little bit more than they did last year. Uh, I'm going to say Rays win this series two games to one. I'll be giving out my, my prediction later on in the episode, but I think that's a, that's a fair pick. Uh, I, I really like the Rays on Thursday and that glass now matchup. And then I guess we'll have to see how the rest of the uh, series plays out. But Alex, thanks so much for for coming on the show. No problem. I had a great time. And now joining the show is D-Rays Bay writer, Jamal Wilberg. Jamal, we had you on during the middle of spring training. Now opening day is finally here. And not only are the Rays heading down to Miami for the games this weekend, you are as well. How excited are you to get back into a ballpark? I'm just excited to get out of the house, Brett. It has (laughs) been... The, the last time my wife and I have truly properly gotten out of the house was March 7th, 2020 to go to the spring training game between the Rays and the Orioles. So we have not, it's been over a year since we have properly left the house. I couldn't be more excited. That, that is exciting. Uh, I, I'm going to try to make it down at some point, maybe the home opener on April 9th. I, I think you're going to the, that home opener as well. Be there as well. Uh, I, for, for me, it would just be special to see the banner go up at the drop. Uh, I think, I think that would be really special. I was there in 09 as a kid when the 08 banners went up. So to see the AL East championship, the AL championship go up, that would be a really great day at the ballpark. Have you ever been to Marlins park? I have. It's one of my, as much, much as people like to talk about, it's one of my favorite parks. I go down there. I've probably been down there once a year for at least the past couple of years to go watch the the team I grew up rooting for when they were there in town. But it's it's just a nice, easy drive down. The the park is is nice. I'm a huge bobblehead fan, so the bobblehead museum gets me every single time to see the new ones that have been rotated in. How about you, Brett? Have you been down there? No, no, I haven't. And it's a shame. I've been trying to get down there. It's been open for like almost 10 years now, it feels like. So yeah. it's, it's I have not been down there. Uh, but I, it looks different now. They got rid of the fish tanks behind home plate. They got rid of the, can we call it a statue that was in left center field? Whatever you want to call that thing. 
so the, out after the bobblehead museum, those were my two favorite things about the park because <laughs> there it was just it just screamed Miami to me. Like here's this fish tank behind the home plate built by the guys from Tanked, and then here's just this big monstrosity out in left center just for the sake of having it like it doesn't really tie in like i don't know when i think miami i think loud colors vibrant and, and i kind of miss it yeah i didn't i didn't necessarily get all of the hate for it i didn't love it but every ballpark is different and every ballpark is weird i always say it and we've talked about it i think at d-rays bay a lot like wrigley field has like plants on the outfield wall and just because it's historic people don't say anything fenway park has a giant left field wall for no reason right and we just kind of accept it because that's the way it's been the trap has catwalks and marlins park had a giant statue thing in left center but no more and <laughs> i guess i guess marlins fans will have to live with that let's talk a little bit about this series though because i think it's a really interesting one as far as i i mean it, really interleague play to open the season just started a few years ago uh, when the Astros moved over to the American League and you had to have some sort of interleague series to start the season. This is the first time the Rays have had an opening series against a National League opponent and it's the first time in a while that the Rays have opened the season on the road. It might be like over 10 years since the last time opening day wasn't at the trap. Do you remember? I have I really have no clue when the last time it was. I vaguely feel like it was at least probably 10 years ago. And I feel like it was against the Orioles. Don't quote me on that, but it's, you know, the travel costs, right? You've got all the spring training teams here in, in Florida. It just tends to be cheaper to keep two teams here for the opening series, which the Rays still stay in Florida going to Miami. I guess someone had to, but yeah, it's, it's the odd non home game to start the season for the Rays. Yeah. And then after that, they'll, they'll head to Boston before coming home and, and facing the Yankees and Honestly, I'm very happy the home openers against the Yankees. And we, we, we'll all talk about that on next week's Raise Your Voice. But to raise a banner, an American League pennant, while the Yankees are in town. Because, Jamal, I don't know if you know, the last time the Rays won the pennant, uh, the home opener was against the Yankees in 2009. And they got to raise it in the Yankees' face. The Yankees obviously went on to win the World Series in 2009. So let's hope that history doesn't repeat itself. Uh, but... Focusing on this Marlins series and the opening day roster. Now, when we talked to Eric Neander, I was, I guess I wasn't shocked, but as baseball fans and as people who, who write about the Rays and cover the Rays, do podcasts on the Rays, we spend so much time obsessing over the 26 or 25, now it's 26 names that are on the opening day roster. But the truth is, and I'm, this is probably true for a lot of front offices, they don't care that much. For them, that's one out of 162. They know the roster is going to change. And the 26 that start the season are just what they need for that point in time. But there's still some decisions that had to be made. Some of them were solved through injury. Brett Phillips is going to start the year on the IL. He's got a hamstring injury. Jimon Choi also going to start on the IL with a knee injury, which actually we can talk about that first. Sounds like it might be a little bit more than a sore knee. He's going to go in for arthroscopic surgery with Dr. Coco Eaton uh, tomorrow or today is the day of recording. There might be news by the time you listening, you're listening to this. But Jamal, G-Man Choi, the knee injury, are, are you worried about that and how that might affect his season? Yeah, I think, you know, G-Man's one of those 
players that we were counting on that we were thinking through. There was no no thought through of you know G Man being there and, and everything that's counted on for uh, for him and missing him for probably at least half a season. And then we'll see what he looks like on the other side of that. You know, for a team that has a lot of aspirations and competitiveness to, to get back and beyond where they finished last year. Um, yeah, there's a lot of concern on what that does to the depth of the roster and, and what that looks like. But I remember the last time we were talking, we were wondering who the the odd the odd man out was going to be on the yeah. team. And, and you know, I said these things tend to have a way of working themselves out through through the injured list by the end of spring training. Just didn't expect it to look like this. Yeah, and, and, I, and I also said this, and I knocked on wood every time I said it on the podcast, so I'm not quite sure why it happened, but the Rays, for the most part, were lo- more lucky than most teams in terms of injury news. Then, all of a sudden, you get to the last week of camp, Nick Anderson's going to miss half the year, G-Man Choi's going to go in for arthroscopic surgery, he's going to be out until at least May, but the fact that he's going in for arthroscopic surgery makes me feel like it's probably going to be a little bit more... Um, so Nick Anderson's the next guy who's going to be off the roster and they had to fill in that extra bullpen spot and they ended up going with nine pitchers to start or nine relievers 14 pitchers in total even though starters and relievers that, that those lines are kind of blurred when it comes to the Rays we'll talk about that in just a second but Yoshi Tsutsugo all signs are pointing that he is going to be the starting first baseman on opening day and probably hit leadoff most days that the Rays are facing right-handed pitchers I'm buying, uh, I'm buying Yoshi stock. I, I thought that last year's struggles were mostly due to the fact that it was his first year in the United States, his first year in the big leagues. And what a year it was to have your rookie season, your major league rookie season. He's a, he's a veteran professional ball player, but it was his rookie year in the major leagues. He showed up in the United States ready for spring training, then had to go back to Japan and come back in the middle of the summer. Never really got too many consistent at-bats just because of the way the roster was constructed last year. And he worked some really good counts. Uh, He had a really low BABIP, which I think means he'll probably have some better luck this year. And he's had like a 14% walk rate. He is in my, what I envision as a leadoff hitter. He's going to work into work deep into counts, take pitches, find different ways to get on base. And you look at the batting average, it was below 200, but the on-base percentage was still good chunk above 300. So that means he's finding other ways to get on base. We know the power that he's got. Jamal, like, how do you feel about Yoshi stepping in as, the, as a starting first baseman going into the year? The, the biggest concern is last year, though, he was just two for 26, right? Batting 077 on, on pitches over 95 miles per hour. So that's going to be, we can talk about his power, but he's got to be able to, to get those, those high heat balls that are coming in and, and be able to be productive with them. The things that we look forward to with G-Man uh, and that, that'll be the biggest piece, but what is really nice about him is he does get really long uh, played appearances and, and sees a lot of pitches. And especially if he's, you know, leading off in, in some games to be able to add to get that pitch count up and, and work through the starter. I think that'll be really, really exciting. But again, to your point, we don't know, how much of last year was the absence of a spring training, the absence of just normalcy. And so I don't really know how to even weigh what he performed. Cause that's almost like most of the season was spring training for a lot of these guys, especially if you weren't getting a lot of consistency playing. So it'll be really interesting to see starting in this first series, how he does against the Marlins. And then if we can start off good and keep that going throughout the season. Yeah, it's exciting, and and I like that he's going to get in the leadoff spot. I think that's that's really where he belongs if he's in the lineup. So with there being 14 pitchers, there's only going to be 12 position players to start the year. 
which isn't too out of the ordinary for the Rays to carry a, a three-man bench, but that will be a four-man bench to start the year because they're going to be playing in a National League ballpark. And uh, last year, we know Major League Baseball made some rule changes or format changes leading up to opening day, but expecting that there probably won't be any changes to the playoff format or the existence of the designated hitter as teams are setting their roster. The Rays won't have a DH this this first weekend. I am kind of shocked that they didn't go into this opening weekend with without a 13-13 split would have given them a five-man bench, especially with, like, their pitchers aren't going to go deep into ballgames. So, I'm, I don't know about you. I'm kind of expecting if it's not a really close game, we're probably going to get some either extra starters with at-bats or maybe even seeing some relievers with at-bats. Yeah, and I think that that's, for, for the first series of the season, probably fine just starting that off. And it's different, again, for the Rays, even in all their other opening days, even if it's not at home, still being in an American League park. And so it'll be it'll be really interesting just to see how they balance that out. But you probably just let the pitchers go up there, take the at-bat, preserve the bench, and then just keep the roster full as you go through the, the, the launch of the Marlins, the Red Sox, and the Yankees like we talked through here earlier. But it'll be really interesting. You know what I really wish they would do with interleague play is reverse it. Because Rays fans never get a chance to see their pitchers bat at home. So it would have really actually preferred to see the other way around. And then Marlins fans never get a chance to see what their team looks like with a DH. So separate from what we're talking about. <laughs> but it, that, that would be a real nice spot as commissioner for a day. But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, uh, the baby giraffe himself, Tyler Glass now with a bat in his hand, you know, in the, in the fifth or sixth inning, uh, trying to either, either swing it or just keep it on the shoulder. I know Glass now kept asking Cash in spring training, like, let me get in that bat, let me get in that bat. And Cash was just like, no, the the very small handful of at-bats you're going to get in the regular season, there's no way you can prepare for those in the one, maybe two at-bats I'd let you have in spring training. It's not worth putting you in there against a professional pitcher uh, in, in exhibition games. And I agree with him there. Do not let Tyler step in the box unless it's a real game. Um, but the... We'll go through all the position players. Really no other surprises on that side. Uh, Mejia and Zanino are going to catch. Zanino's probably going to get, I'm not going to call him a starter. I don't think that there are many true starting catchers in Major League Baseball, but Zanino will probably get the majority of plate appearances or at least more so than Mejia does. Uh, the infielders, you've got Yoshi Tsutsugo, Brandon Lau, Joey Wendell, Willie Adonis, Yanni Diaz, and Mike Brasso. And then the outfielders, you've got Austin Meadows, Randy Rosarena, Manuel Margot, Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, and that and that's it. So, uh, no other surprise there. I think opening day lineup. You can probably expect uh, Yoshi Meadows, Randy, Brandon Lau, Joey Wendell in the five spot. Maybe Yandy Diaz, depending on who starts at third base. Adonis, Kiermeyer in center, and Zanino catching. Margot probably going to sit out. He'll probably start in the outfield on days where there's a DH, but I think they're going to want to keep Meadows in the lineup, so he'll probably play uh, right field opening weekend. And Margot, Wendell, Brasso, all of it are Diaz, all available off the bench. I don't know. I, Wendell or Diaz, I think Wendell, you're getting a little bit better defense. Diaz, you're getting a better hitter. Um, so I don't know what decision they're going to make there, and they might even switch it up as the series goes on. Moving over to the pitching staff. So like I said, 14 pitchers. We know Tyler Glass now is going to start opening day. He'll be going up against Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins. Ryan Yarbrough uh, is going to pitch 
uh, Friday, opening day Thursday, game two Friday. Saturday, though, the last game of the series, they got a rare Sunday off day, which which I hate, but it's the Easter holiday, so I'll have some time to you know relax and yep. celebrate Easter. Um, they're going with a piggyback. So they've used uh, bullpen days. They've used the opener. This might be a tactic or a method that they use more in 2021. The piggybacks are going to start with Rich Hill. He's getting the ball to start the game. But they have stated that Chris Archer is also going to pitch in that game. So it feels somewhat like a spring training game where you announce the starting or the pitchers that are going to pitch in that game. So we know Rich Hill, we're probably going to get him three, maybe four innings. Then you hand the ball to Archer for two, three, I doubt four, but maybe. And then you get to the, the bullpen in the late innings if need be. Jamal, what, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on this method? When I first heard it, I was we, we were talking about this. It's a little confusing and interesting. Sounds like the most race thing to do. But then the more that I've thought about it, it really just sounds like the evolution of the opener. And and I think that this is where, you know, I remember as a kid, can openers weren't as easy as they were. But it was really nice when you moved to the electric opener. So that's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to call this piggyback is the electric opener. And so you've got Rich Hill and, and Chris Archer back to back. That's just next level taking it to the opener. By the time you get, you know, one, two times through the order of either of those pitchers to have the next one come back up and get you one or two times through the order. I don't know how teams are going to react to that because it's different than I think putting a reliever in that spot and having them think like a starter. It's two starters just thinking like starters and just going through a spring training game. It'll be interesting to see how they react to it in games that matter in games that count. But I think it's a very interesting strategy to just maximize the the pitching that you have with the off day uh, heading in the start of the season. Oh, Chris Archer made a point to say that he wanted to get experience in spring training. Cause you remember last time Chris Archer was the was with the Rays. That was when they debuted the opener because they were dealing with so many arm injuries, uh, pitching injuries. And Archer was like at one point the lone starter, and then he was traded. And I believe that day that he was traded, for a little bit at least, the Rays depth chart on MLB.com showed zero starting pitchers because Archer was the last one, and he was dealt obviously to the Pirates. Now he's back. He knows his role is going to change with this team, and he wanted that experience in spring training to step in and 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 get a chance to pitch behind somebody. Whether it be an opener or a piggyback, he's going to piggyback off of Rich Hill. And Rich Hill, like, they might end up only using him for one or two innings. It might be more similar to an opener. But the way they've stated it is that he's going out for three or four, like one or two times through the order, like you said. And then we're going to go to Chris Archer. And no idea how it's going to look, uh, but I think it's going to be really fun. Because you talk about two different types of pitchers. Rich Hill, left-handed guy, really uh, not awkward, but different, unique arm angle. Chris Archer comes in. He's not maybe throwing as hard as he was the last time he was with the Rays, but he's still got the hard slider. It's going to be a lot of different looks that these Marlins hitters are going to have to try and deal with, and I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Uh, Jamal, before we get into our our, our some, some before we raise our voice about the 2021 season, do you got a prediction for this opening series? I know you're going to be there. You think the Rays can at least take two out of three down in Miami? Yeah, I think the Rays take two out of three. Um, if if not all three, I think, but I think two out of three for sure. I think the the opening day feels like feels like a win for the Rays. I think that the 
the Friday game, game two, a little, that's, that's one that, that might be a little bit of a letdown, but I think the, the piggyback becomes the second win to, to win the series. How about you? Yeah, I, I, I was going to say originally the we might fall on Sunday or on Saturday. The, the, it's so weird to see the series finale on a Saturday. Uh, but the more we talked about the piggyback on Saturday, the more I think that the, the, the Rays are going to be able to pull it off. It looks like it'll be Sandy Alcantara on Thursday, probably Pablo Lopez on Friday, and Eliezer Hernandez on Saturday. So, you know what? I'm going to start off the season. I'm going to predict a, a three-game sweep in the Citrus Series. And we don't play the Marlins again until late in September, so we won't see them for a while. We're going to avoid Sixto Sanchez, and I just talked about that with our guest, uh, our Miami Marlins preview guest. Uh, he has been optioned down, and I talked about that earlier in the show. But the Rays will avoid him, and the last time he pitched against the Rays, he went seven shutouts, struck out 10, and only walked one. So I think the Rays lineup, which is pretty much the same from last year, uh, will be very thankful that they are not facing Sixto Sanchez. All right, Jamal, it's time to uh, raise our voices, and I'll let you raise yours first. 2021, I guess you could say high expectations. You're coming off an American League championship. A lot of the projections, though, have the Rays. A lot of them have the Rays missing the postseason, winning less than 90 games. But I want to hear some of your predictions for 2021 season. It could be win totals. It could be a player, a breakout season. Anything you got could be good or bad. But I'll I'll go ahead and let you raise your voice. I think it's a 94 win American League East defending champions back to back Tampa Bay Rays with Rondi Rosarina as your American League Rookie of the Year. I, I love it, Rosarina. I mean, obviously, all he has to do, and this is still a tall task, is like half of what he was in October, and that's good enough to win Rookie of the Year. He's still Rookie of the Year eligible. For those of you that didn't realize, uh, because he barely played for the Cardinals when he came up and he barely played for the Rays at the tail end of the regular season. Everything that he's done in the big leagues has been in the postseason. So I like that. Uh, it would be really nice to win the American League East back-to-back years. It's something that the Rays have never done in franchise history. Also, if they make the postseason, it'll be the first time that they made a postseason three years in a row. They have never done that before. So I, I, I'm very nervous about them making the postseason. I think it'll. I think it's likely. I think they're still better than the Blue Jays, better than the Red Sox, better than the Orioles. Um, the Yankees might be able to edge them out if they stay healthy, which is a big ask for any team. But I won't make any predictions on that because I'm a little too afraid to. Uh, but team MVP, and I'm going to go ahead and flip my stance on this player, a player that I've been very down on for the last less than 12 months, probably nine months or so. Austin Meadows. I think I was a little too harsh on him in 2020. He dealt with COVID. He came back. It was really hard for him to get back in rhythm. He struggled in 2020, but he showed up to camp in 2021. Hashtag BSOHL, best shape of his life. And he's been raking. And I usually try not to draw any conclusions from spring training results, but Austin Meadows just looks like the player he was back in 2019. I think he's going to hit towards the top of the order. I think he's going to be the DH for most of the year. He can focus on just hitting. He'll get some time in the outfield as well. But I think Austin Meadows is going to be the best player on this Rays team. Probably hit 30 home runs. Be a four-plus win player. 130 WRC+. I am 
now buying Austin Meadows stock. And I want to apologize to him because I know you're listening, Austin. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, maybe you're listening. Because uh, I, I, I was out on Austin Meadows for such a long time. Seeing what he's done in spring training, uh, I'm, I'm a believer again, Austin. So that is my bold prediction for the 2021 season. Let's hope and pray that it comes true. Thank you to Jamal Wilberg for joining us on today's episode and Alex Krutchik of fishstripes.com. That'll do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Once again, thank you guys for listening and make sure to head on over to draysbay.com to check out all of the great Rays coverage. If your platform allows it, rating and reviewing our podcast network is the best way to spread what we do to more and more Rays fans. I'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah.